Good morning. Welcome to Redeemer Church. Hear these words from Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people of the earth, for he loves us with unfailing love. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. I'm Beth, and I'm a volunteer here, and I want to welcome all of you again this morning. I wanted to say thank you for the message last week. Uh, during our life group, we spent a lot of time discussing authentic worship and our half-heartedness sometimes, and, and that is really hard for us to hear, but it was really important for us to hear, and I'm sure you have even more important things for us here now. Yeah, as hard as, as last week was to hear, um, this week is going to be challenging as well. As we continue the series on Malachi, um, we're going to be talking about inspired leadership. And last week we looked at what it means to, to give our whole selves to God and, and authentic worship. Um, today as we talk about inspired leadership and, and living fully into God's plan in our lives, we're going to talk about five fatal flaws that, that the people of Israel um, fell into in, in the second chapter of Malachi that we often fall into as well. Uh, but then we're also going to take five lessons of leadership as well um, that we can pull out of that second chapter some of the things we're going to talk about are going to be kind of hard to hear because we don't often like to self-reflect on some of our own failings, but in doing so, we will find ourselves growing farther in our faith. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be in this place, in this space. Lord, speak to us in the way that only you can. Move in our hearts, our minds, and all of us. It's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last Sunday, our focus was on giving God our best. And by embracing an authentic faith as in regards to worship and putting God in priority in our life. And all throughout the Bible, we read over and over and see over and over again that God is telling us to give him our best through everything, through our time and our energy and our possessions and our worship and and last week we talked specifically about you know taking our next step to, to grasp to grasp the, the greatness of God. And today we're going to look at Malachi chapter two, and we're going to begin by looking at the first verse. And I want you to read it with me this morning. Um, let's put it up on the screen. Let's read it together. Listen, you priests, this command is for you. Okay. So right off the bat, it does not say, "Listen, Tim." Okay, it says, listen, you priests. And so, so you might be tempted to just check out at this point because the passage seems like it might not be for you, um, but it is. Let me assure you, um, the word priest here um, in verse 1 was not used, not only used to identify a certain group of people in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it was used to describe every believer in the New Testament. Because Jesus talked about, and Paul talked about, the priesthood of all believers. In the Old Testament, priests were the descendants of Moses' brother Aaron, who was from the tribe of Levi, and they were called the Levites. And it was their job to serve in the tabernacle, which later became the temple. And they were set apart for two primary purposes. One was to sacrifice animals, uh, and the other was to serve God. Now, under the new covenant with Jesus, Jesus was the high priest, um, who offered himself as the final sacrifice. And we see this in, in Hebrews 4.14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. 
And in Hebrews 7, goes on to make it clear that because Jesus has become a permanent priest, the Old Testament priesthood is now obsolete. And verse 27 of, of Hebrews 7 states that sacrifices are no longer necessary, which is why you didn't bring a cow or a goat with you this morning to worship. And if you did, you can leave it in the trailer out in the parking lot. Um, it's no longer necessary because Jesus has paid the final price for your life. Cool beans. Well, uh, did, did you? Uh, I showered this morning, so it shouldn't be me. <laughs> 27 says this, Unlike those other high priests, he, he being Jesus, does not need to offer sacrifices every day because the original priests, the old priests of the Old Testament, they would have to make a sacrifice for themselves to be pure and then sacrifice for other people. Um, and they did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of other people, but Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for other people's sins. So amazingly, the Bible teaches us that you and I and all of us are priests. Congratulations. Get yourself a collar out of petty cash. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. People will start talking about us. Um, we're set apart, though, to be involved with worship and service. In 1 Peter, Peter says this. He says, you are a chosen people. He says, you're a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And John puts it this way in Revelation 1.6. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. And so every one of us who are Christ followers have one purpose. Our, our, our combined purpose, our, our universal purpose, is to point other people to God. Not to point at each other, but to point other people to God. To point upward. To lead people upward. And that's our job. Every day is to lead people upward. Unfortunately, it's, it's often easier for us to forget our function and to default to seeing our duty as just showing up when it's convenient or doing our part. Sometimes just because we feel like we have to out of obligation or just because it brings us some joy to serve the Lord. You know, I really like serving in the food pantry because it just makes me feel happy to help other people. Oh, did I say that out loud? My bad. That's not the purpose of service. That's not why we serve. So today, I want to look first at the five fatal flaws that contributed to the spiritual slide of God's people in Malachi, in Malachi's day. People who should have known better. You know, like the Israelites had this, this cycle where they should have known better, but they kept making these same mistakes over and over and over again. And we're going to look at these five fatal flaws. And these, some of these are going to be hard. They're going to be hard to hear because fatal flaws does not sound a whole lot positive, does it? No, the answer is no, it doesn't. Fatal flaws sounds negative. But we'll get to the positive because we're gonna, after we get through the fatal flaws, we'll get to the five leadership lessons. So we'll start with the flaws. Several years ago, there was um, a report that came out about a college basketball coach and a national contender for a football coach who lost their jobs both because of um, what they called inappropriate behavior. It actually is in the news more often now than anything else, in my mind. Um, but there was a reporter that was a columnist, a sports columnist, was writing about this, and he wrote that um, they had money, urges, and an air of invincibility, a day, which was a dangerous combination. And each of these men, they embarrassed themselves by exhibiting conduct unbecoming of their profession. And when we look at Malachi 2, that, that's kind of what the priesthood had done. They had this, this air of invincibility, 
and they had conduct unbecoming their position. They did things that were they weren't supposed to be doing because they felt like they were invincible. So the first fatal, uh, the first fatal flaw that we notice in the Malachi 2 is that they dishonored God's holiness. And we find it in verse 2 um, and 3, which says, Listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name, says the Lord of heaven's armies, or I will bring a terrible curse against you. I will curse even the blessings you receive. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you have not taken my warnings to heart. I will punish your descendants and here we go, this is getting good, and splatter your faces with manure from your festival sacrifices. Mmm. Yummy. And I will throw you on the manure pile. Interesting. The first step down the slippery slope of superficial religion is that the leaders totally dishonor the holiness of God. And it's, it, it always starts that way. A.W. Tozer once wrote that what you what you think about God, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. And these priests no longer honored God, which meant they didn't consider him worthy of their respect. So notice the first part of verse 2, that because they didn't honor God, they didn't bother listening to him. The word listen obviously means not only to hear, but to hear intelligently, and it implies obedience. To make up your minds refers to an active decision of the will. You know, we've all, I don't know, we've all, tell your kids, don't just hear what I'm saying, you need to listen to what I'm saying and do what I tell you to do. Right? There's a difference between hearing and listening. We know from chapter 1 that they, the priests were not honoring God because they were giving these garbage sacrifices, these, these sick and, and diseased animals for sacrifice that we talked about last week. And we see again that God is not only he's referring to himself as the Lord of heaven's armies. He's talking about himself in the strongest possible title that he can give himself that communicates, I am the, I am the self-existent um, one with the host of angelic armies and I can, that can do my bidding for me. But they, they didn't care. It's like, you know what, whatever. Yeah, yeah, God. Yon, Yahweh. Whatever, you're just God. Doesn't matter. And yet, you know, it didn't care that God was God. And yet, because of God's love and grace, he, he offers them a second chance. He gives them an opportunity to turn it around. But God gives them a condition, as, as often happens. God gives them this condition, and, and this is an important truth for us to hear as well. If they persist in sliding, this backsliding, into sin, then God's going to punish them. And that has to be taken seriously, because as we saw from Jeremiah... When God says he's going to punish you if you don't turn it around, it's not an empty threat. It's, not, it's never an empty threat. On the other hand, if they give God the glory and set their hearts to honor his holy name, he's going to unleash blessings on them. And now the text becomes very graphic, so if you have a queasy stomach, you know, slide up next to somebody and maybe grab a hand or, you know, just don't fall asleep. Let's get into a few of these things. The first thing that's going to happen is that they're going to be rebuked. In the second half of the first verse, or the second verse, God declares that he's going to send a curse upon them. And we don't, we don't hear that word curse um, as much in our culture today. We hear people curse, but we don't hear the phrase, you're going to get a curse, right? We, we, 
we, we swear, but we don't hear that phrase curse. But in, in biblical language, in, in, the, in the Hebrew and in, in biblical text in, in ancient Near East, when you were going to get a curse put upon you, it meant that you were, it was more than just wishing something bad was going to happen to somebody. A curse was considered to possess an intended power of doom or destruction upon someone. So it's to curse someone was a power of doom was going to fall upon you or destruction was going to fall upon you. And so and the word send meant to, to, to hurl upon or to let loose. So God is going to curse you God, when, that God is going to hurl upon you doom and destruction. So that's a pretty, pretty powerful phrase. So when God said that he's going to bring a terrible curse upon you and I will curse even the blessings you receive, he's saying that sin and rebellion are not ignored or washed away by some religious act or rite. In other words, he is saying that you cannot bless, they could not bless themselves out of the mess that they were in. That no amount of sacrificing diseased animals was going to fix what they had done. And verse 3 begins with some very tough words. As I said, this is going to be, some of this stuff is going to be hard to hear. Very challenging and tough and discouraging words that are aimed at their children and their grandchildren. I will punish your descendants. And God is telling them that the way that they are living today is going to affect their children tomorrow. I think that we could probably we would probably do well if we were to listen a little more intently to what's being said here in our day. Are we living in light of the legacy we will leave for our kids and our grandkids? Or are we falling into a trap of that same fatal flaw of not honoring God? The second thing that will happen is rejection. And in the middle part of verse 3 is among the strongest statements you will ever find in the Bible because God says, I will punish your descendants and splatter your face with the manure of your festival sacrifices and I will throw you on the manure pile. Now, this is the New Living Translation which is very easy to read. But if you go back to the original language, Manure has a few other words that are a little more graphic and a little more vulgar. Use that word when you read this, because that's what it would be. We learned last week that the priests were accepting sick animals for sacrifices from the people and were and offering them to God. And, and when the priests sacrificed animals, they would lay them out on the table and they'd slaughter them and they'd keep the insides, the intestines and all of the guts and they'd, they'd separate them so they could be thrown away. And it was a messy job. It was, it was a nasty job. And, and if you're squirming now, it's, it, it, it's, it's not going to get any better. Um, God is saying that because the priests have not honored His holiness, He's going to have them have this like manure facial, manure makeover. He's going to take all of the crud, all of the feces, all of the gut pile, cover them with it. I, I gutted two deer last weekend. I can tell you it's not as glamorous as you might think. I grew up in the country and I could tell you what kind of farm it is by the smell. 
I've walked around in muckers, and I know it's it's gentleman farmer, my butt. It's a messy job. This was going to be a punishment for the self-righteous religious leaders who are just pretending to love God. The third thing that will happen here is there's removal. The rebuke leads to rejection, which finally leads to removal. And when the priests cleaned out the insides of the animal, they were supposed to burn everything because it was unclean, right? Take all the guts and stuff out of the animals and you burn it. That's what Levitical law says, you burn it. But they didn't burn it. And so they were unclean. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. And so the priests were unclean in God's eyes. So the last part of verse 3 says that because of your failure, I will throw you on the manure pile because you are unclean. You just are just as dirty as those that gut pile sitting there. So here's the point. Our, our God is not passive about how we treat his name, and he will not allow anyone to prosper for long when we rebel against his will. Why? 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 Why will he not do that? Because we go back to what we talked about last week, the very beginning of Malachi. Malachi 2, or 1-2, where he says, I have always loved you, says the Lord. I have always loved you, said the Lord. Because we serve a God, and we love a God who loves us enough to meet us where we are, exactly where we are in this moment. He loves us so much that he meets us where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way that he finds us. God desires that we come back to a proper understanding of his holy love for us, to come back into relationship with himself. So the second fatal flaw is that they departed from the way of God. The first step south is always to disregard and disrespect God. And that often leads to a departure from what we know is right. And drop down to the first part of verse 8, and and priests have left God's path. So, once again, once a person stops walking with God, they have to get back in step with Him or our spiritual life will begin to spiral downward. It's as as simple as that. The third fatal flaw is the destructive cost to others. And when we depart from God's way, we usually end up taking others down with us. They go down the same path that we do. And this is what what he says. But you priests have left God's path. Your instructions have caused many to stumble in sin since we all influence other people. We all influence other people. Every one of us here influences somebody. We all influence someone in our lives. Since we all influence someone, when we grow cold spiritually, others ice over too. 1 Corinthians 15 says, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. And the priests were not walking with God. And because of that, their words made people lose faith. Could you imagine if I lost faith the damage that I could do as a pastor. You're a pastor too, remember? We're all priests, we're all pastors, we're all called to lead people upward. It's the same thing. Instead of pointing people upward, the priests were tripping them up. And God said it strongly in Isaiah 9.16. He said, for the leaders of the people have misled them, and they have led them down a path of destruction. And Jesus himself had no tolerance for this either. In Matthew 18, he said, um, he said, but you, if you cause even one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall in sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. We're called to lead people upward. 
The fourth fatal flaw is, is that they uh, desecrated the covenant. So God had this special, this special uh, relationship with the priests that could be traced all the way back to Levi, and, and they had corrupted it. He said, you have corrupted the covenant I made with the Levites, says the Lord of heaven's armies. They were, they were allowing religious rituals to rupture their relationship with God. The purpose of the covenant was to produce a, a love from the heart between people and God, and, and they, they violated it and corrupted it. The fifth and final fatal flaw was that they, despised, they were despised by the people. And we talked about last week how the people, um, the priests, were accepting these, these offerings that were, were bad, the, the, these animals that were um, um, sick, diseased animals. It's ironic because the priests were accepting those in large part because they didn't want to let the people get mad at them. They wanted to make the people happy, and they, they valued what the people thought about them more than what God thought about them. But because they were in a spiritual freefall, they ended up being rejected by the people as well. Verse 9 says, So I have made you despised and humiliated in the eyes of all the people, for you have not obeyed me, but have shown favoritism in the way you carried out my instructions. So, so the sham was up, the gig was up. Here's the point, that if we take our relationship with God seriously, if we don't take our relationship with God seriously, no one else is going to take us seriously either. People have seen enough Sunday religion to keep, to keep them from wanting a relationship with God. People have seen Christians playing church enough to have seen the hypocrisy long enough to know, you know what, maybe that's not for me. I think that's enough bad news for one day. What do you think? Yes, Tim, that's enough bad news for one day. <clears throat> Thank you, Jen. I appreciate the um, interaction. Let's move on to the positive steps. Take a, the five leadership lessons that we can talk about to, to move people forward, to help us move forward, to lead upward. The first is to respond to God in obedience. And if you're taking notes, this is the first um, on the message notes page. Respond to God in obedience. So verse 2 says, listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name. God desires for us to listen and to set our hearts for obedience. And the, it's one thing to believe something is true. It's another thing to actually obey it. And I like how James puts it in James 1. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. I think about the, the example of the young boy Samuel. After hearing God's, God's voice in the middle of the night three different times, he responded in obedience. You can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 3, where he says, And then Samuel said, Speak, your servant is listening. And I wonder, can you say that about God right now in your life? Are you listening to what God is saying to you? Because the litmus test for listening is whether or not we are living out what we know to be true, what we know God wants us to do. Are we actually doing it? The second lesson, leadership lesson that we learn is to respect God because he is awesome. And not like, awesome, dude, but like awesome. The, the word is overused, I know, but to be fully in awe of. 
In verse 4, God is longing for his covenant with Levi to continue. Levi was the third son of Le- Leah, not Leah, the princess, Leah, the son of Jacob. Um, and this, this, his name literally, mean, literally means to adhere, to, to be joined to. And Leah was, Leah was hoping that his birth um, would, would help to bring their marriage together. Because everyone knows that adding a baby only fixes a marriage. It didn't work in Genesis either, folks. It, it, but people are people. The statement um, in Genesis 29 kind of reveals that whole thing. Is Genesis 29:34? Surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. It's a universal desire. We, we want our spouses or our partners to be locked into us, to be committed. Um, and sometimes we'll do almost anything to make that happen. And, but what's interesting is that the, the making of the covenant with Levi is not formally recorded. And in fact, it's, it's not in many commentaries or anything in the Old Testament. And even um, when, when Jacob passed in, in the end of Genesis, in Genesis 49, we find um, some harsh words about Levi. And so what made the followers of Levi so special? We have some clues in the Old Testament from Exodus and, and Numbers. You know, the fact that, the fact that um, Moses and Aaron were descendants of Levi gave the tribe some prominence. You know, when, when Moses came down from the mountain on Sinai and uh, for, after meeting with, da, uh, with God and he had the 15 crash, 10 commandments. You seen that YouTube video? No, it's uh, Mel, Gip, uh, Mel Brooks movie child of the 80s come on now it's it's funny history of the world part two there's no part one sorry i digress (sighs) i need some modern pop culture references that didn't come out of the 80s that's what i really need Ten Commandments. Moses is coming down the mountain. He's got the tablets. He sees the people of Israel going crazy and worshiping this golden calf. Okay, can you all see that? They're worshiping. They're doing this crazy thing. They got their dance going on. It's in Exodus chapter 32. And he says, this is not in the Charlton Heston version, but he says, all of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around him. All right. Moses told the Levites to clean house by wiping out those who worship the calf and declaring a blessing on and he declared a blessing on them. Verse 29 says, Today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord, for you obeyed him, even though it meant killing your own sons and brothers. Today you have earned a blessing. So we don't read that and see that in the Heston version, but um, Moses had the Levites kind of kill his own people there. Clean house. God was establishing a priesthood that revered his name and put him first. So let's be honest about something here. A lot of us play church, too, don't we? Compromising our convictions, disobeying God whenever it suits our situations, and we do it right in the face of God. If we truly respected God, we, we would be changed forever when we committed our life to Christ. But, but you see, many of us are, are we're getting bored with God because we don't want to understand what He really is. And because we don't always honor His holiness, we lose sight of what's really important. 
just God. Third leadership lesson is we resolve to lead ourselves. After responding to God and acknowledging his awesomeness, the next step is to lead ourselves. What I mean by this is that we need to make sure that the spiritual is real in our own lives. And, and this is not just like, you know, millennial self-care, you know, got to take three days of vacation out of every five days of work and, you know, type of a thing. But I, I mean, that would be kind of awesome. But, but what I mean is that, look at verse 6. They, they passed on to the people the truth of the instructions they received from me. They did not lie or cheat. They walked with me, living good and righteous lives, and they turned away from many, uh, turned many from lives of sin. If we want to lead people upward, we we need, we must make sure that God's word is central to our own lives, and we must concentrate our walk on our walk with God more than anything else. More than anything else, we have to lead ourselves. In Bill Hybels' book, Courageous Leadership. He talks about leading the people above you, beside you, and below you. But he also talks about leading the person in the middle, which is yourself. And a small quote from the book, he says this, and I quote, We would rather try to inspire or control the behavior of others than face the vigorous work of self-reflection and inner growth. He further states that we should be devoted, devoting 50% of our time and abilities on leading ourselves. The fourth leadership lesson is to repel people from sin. And that last part of verse 6 challenges us to do just that, to do whatever it takes to turn many from lives of sin. And when we see someone starting to stray from God, we may be tempted to turn our backs. You know, it's really easy to say, you know what, they're a lost cause. I'm not going to deal with them. They're, they've chosen their path, and I am the righteous person. I'm going to go my way with God. But James, the epistle of James, exhorts us not to do that. He tells us something else. He says, this. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Is there anyone in your life right now that you can think of that is deliberately choosing to walk away from God? And is there anyone in your life right now that you need to call, email, send a letter to, talk to? Is there someone you could talk to today? Because that's how you lead upward. The fifth and final leadership lesson is to represent God to others. One of the roles of the priests was to represent God and reveal his will to the people around you. We see this in, in the first part of verse 7. The word of the priest's lips should preserve knowledge of God and the people should go to him for instruction. That for, for the priest is the messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. Now the word Persevere or preserve. Persevere, it means to literally guard against perversion. And in order to proclaim his message accurately, you and I must remain in God's presence. And we must respond in the presence of others. You know, people should actually want to hear from us. Did you know that? People should actually want to hear from us as people of faith. Let me ask you a question. Are people thirsty to hear from you? Do people come to you seeking answers because your life is different? Your faith is loud enough for people to notice? Do people seek your guidance or instruction from you because you and your life is different enough to be noticeable? 
If no one's asking you about you and your life and why your life is different, maybe it's not. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says, You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful manner. Do this in a gentle and respectful manner. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So here's my final questions for you. Do, does God have all of you? Have all of you. And if not, why not? And if you're in a place today where, where you feel like you have a ton of guilt, a ton of shame, and that you're trapped, and you can't think of a way out, maybe you're just going through the motions of being a Christian. And it's time to get out the Word of God, to get out the Bible, and do whatever it takes to regain your first love, to, to stop playing church, to stop playing with God. Because He wants you back on, his, on your feet so that you can get so that you don't get wiped out by these fatal flaws. So that you can be an inspired leader that leads people upward in your life, in our lives together. Are you willing to let him do that and to see you through it? Heavenly Father, I ask that you would be with us as we desire to lead in the way that you have called us to. God, as we face the flaws of our lives and the flaws of the world around us, we ask that you would help us to not succumb to those fatal flaws as your people did so long ago. God, give us the courage and the strength that we need to endure the trials of our life, to come out above and not below them, to be the inspired leaders that you've called us to be, to grow to the place where people look to us and ask us why our lives are different so that we can lead them upwards toward you, toward your glory and never our own. It's in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ, that we pray. And everyone said, Amen.